welcome. You are watching Elite Business Live. I'm Ollie Barrett, and this is a really relevant conversation because I can hear some critics say that here in Britain, from time to time over the last few years, our conversation has been a little bit inward looking. And that word or phrase cannot be used to describe our panel who join me this afternoon. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hi, well, it's a bit of a reunion, but I am meeting some of you for the first time. It's nice to see you, Anthony. How are you? I'm very good. Nice to see you, Ollie. <laughs> very good. Now, as we go down the line here, I'm going to get out-trended again here. I can see because you, sir, are somebody I've been looking forward to meeting. Let me, let me introduce you all one by one. Noman Armand, you're the co-founder of CREP Project. By the way, one of our younger team members was very pleased to see you joining us. Good. You're helping young people's footwear. Oh you might say all generations, footwear look extra special. Yeah, definitely. I think um, uh, what I usually start off by saying is if you don't know us, your kids definitely do. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so definitely it's, it's, good to, it's good to be here. Um, it's good to give an insight from a, uh, from a non-traditional sector of the market. Yeah. Um, so yeah, looking forward to it. Well, good. Well, well, welcome. And I'm looking forward to hearing more. Now, um, Arnie Milken, uh, you're wearing a different hat today. Yes, I am. Last time I saw you, yes, you've gone stuck. Longer hair as you, well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it happens to us all. Some of us haven't got as much anymore. But Arnie, you are helping companies go global. Yes. Uh, and particularly on some of what I think of as the fiddly bits, the customs, the administration, yep. everything. Yep. Just give us the elevator. Well, we help businesses go global by um, by, by t reaching your customers faster, by by getting to, getting to de-risk the business. And um, yeah, and, and to grow internationally by you know taking that border away that we've been talking so much about over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So trying to make trade as seamless as possible, not forgetting about these trade barriers and, and overcoming them, really. Excellent. No, thank you. And Ani, I know that we're very grateful at Elite Business for your sort of words of wisdom and guidance over the years. So I want to understand from you in a minute about the sort of changing of course. environment as well. Sure. Uh, Anthony Goodwin. Uh, an award-winning entrepreneur. I normally see you on some stage receiving some sort of gong. You've taken your business to over 100 different countries. Antal, uh, in the business of talent and recruitment, tell That's us right. more. Yes, Ollie. We started out back in 1993. Can you yeah. believe? I must have been a teenager. I know you were nine. And uh, uh, mostly focusing on Central Eastern Europe. Then we went to China, Hong Kong, uh, Singapore, um, developing markets like uh, Middle East Africa, you know, everywhere it was difficult to find talent, ah. we decided to open offices. Oh, and I want to know how you decided that, but uh, where has been, other than our home market here, if we were mapping the money, going back to the conversation Alison and I had, where's the hotspot been? I think right now I would say it's Russia, Central Asia, China and India. Interesting, very interesting. And uh, certain areas of the globe there, not without some potential... Uh, misunderstandings around them, should we say? So of course, yes. Let, let's but we, pick some of that. We always we always keep away from the politics. I say business brings people together. Politics often drives them apart. So, no. no, good. Well, more of that in a second. And joining us from I'd like to know where, but it's the co-founder of the Cheeky Panda, Chris Forbes. Hello, Chris. How are you? Hi, everyone. I'm joining you virtually from yeah, that's, Essex. That's good. This, this, no, but I, I can't blame it on you because it may be on our side. But Chris, I can't quite hear you. Let's try again. Are you there, sir? Yeah, I am. I've got my audio working. Yeah, that is working loud and clear. Where are you, Chris? Uh, so I'm, I'm in Essex currently, so I'm sorry I couldn't make it in, but I'm oh, we're talking joining about you virtually. On this panel, don't you worry. 
big fan of your business. Bamboo products, toilet paper, wipes, other things besides. Tell us how you've got on and uh, you seem to be smashing it. Yeah, so we set up our business in 2016 and um, it's now 2021 and um, we've just launched into China um, and also it's the United States of America. Um, so really good international growth scale up experience um, and just looking to share some of what we've learned along the way um, with your listeners today. Well, indeed. Well, let's just stay on that thought for a minute because someone might be thinking, OK, the cheeky panda starts to take their first footsteps in China. You must have been treading on eggshells. I mean, how did you take advice about how to land that message with, you know, your traditional grace and not, uh, not uh, if I can mix my animals, ruffle feathers? It's a different market. and uh, it's, it's a completely different way of marketing. Uh, and the channels that they use uh, are completely different to how we do things in the West. So you almost kind of got to put a different hat on and um, going back to what was said earlier, um, different culture as well. Um, but we knew that if we had a high performing uh, brand in the West that was selling in um, major stores like, you know, Whole Foods and Boots and Ocado, that eventually it would be something that was desirable in China. And that's what we've done. We've built a brand in the West and now it's desirable. We can now sell it back to the middle class in China. Interesting. So just give us a tiny example, Chris, of one of those channels and something you've learned. So we've just launched with Carrefour in China, which is the second largest distributor and um, two weeks ago. So um, and, and what we've learned is that we have to be in the store uh, with panda hats on, communicating with the people, educating them about the brand, uh, getting them to pick it up, and then we get the repeat purchases. So um, different to how we would do it in the West. No, interesting. Well, look, more, more questions uh, for you in a moment. Um, no, man, if I can come back to you with um, Crep Protect. This is, this is about footwear, but, but it, it's a part of your business empire, if I can call it that. I just want to get much clearer on the product, but also where you are globally on that journey. Just help us understand. So where we were, we were essentially founded in uh, 2013 and our vision was um, to transform and innovate in a once ignored and, and boring segment of the market. Shoe care has always been uh, an industry where it's been about um, you go to the, the counter when you buy some shoes and it's always pushed down your throat. It's like the upsell, isn't it? Yeah, you, you buy it you buy it because you almost feel sorry for the guy behind the till. You go home, you throw it underneath your bathroom sink, there's no brand interaction, there's no loyalty and there's no business longevity. Mm. And for us, it's what we did. We, we, we wanted to be the Red Bull in, in sneaker care. Mm -hmm. And we've managed to do that. Um, we, we, we sold at a premium price point when we were told that it's impossible to sell at that point. Uh, we stuck to our guns, uh, we marketed it very significantly. We have brand ambassadors from Delhi Ali to DJ Khalid. Uh, we have partnerships with the NBA and New Era. Mm -hmm. uh, we are a, a global brand very quickly where we focused on expanding very quickly on the exclusive distributor model mm -hmm. and then understanding where the larger markets were and then taking them in-house. Okay. Um, and, and where are you sort of globally? Are you allowed to say how many markets? Yeah, yeah. We, we, we are in 52 countries in the world now. Um, our larger markets, obviously, uh, being the US, 
Paris, um, um, Southeast Asia, Australia, South America, and we continue to grow quite significantly. So, so we'll get some commentary uh, from, from, from the team on this, but as you sat there with a map of the world, I mean, were you being led by where the sales were cropping up? I mean, how, how did you start to make the master plan? I, th I think for us, it was just following suit on where the industry was going. Um, the industry now, you just need to walk into an Emirates lounge, it's not formal wear and shoes, it's, it's, it's chinos and sneakers. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 we were, and we were pole position really, and we grabbed that market where it was. Traditionally in, in the fashion industry, and especially sneakers, the trend is really dominated by the bigger players like Nike and Adidas, which are in the West, and then it, and then it washes over yeah. um, into local markets. Interesting. Let's, uh, let, let's just get a little snapshot from you Anthony, and then briefly Chris, and then some commentary from Alison as well. Um, how about Antel's first steps globally beyond the UK? What were they and why? Uh, we first went into Poland, then Czech Republic, or Czechoslovakia as it was there yeah. those years ago, um, Hungary, and then Russia. And I think, I have to say, uh, going to Russia was the most exciting and interesting uh, event for us. It really was quite something very different. So why did you start with Poland? Poland because there was a big um, expatriate Polish community living in West London mm -hmm. where I used to source candidates from to go back into their motherland if yes. you like. So that was where the business kind of kicked off. Yeah. Very interesting because Arnie what I'm thinking here is mm -hmm. let's say a business sells popcorn. There's one school of thought that says I'm going to go to someone that's already well into their popcorn. Yeah. The other school of thought says, I want to know who's not into popcorn, because I might make my name. Yeah. And with Crep Protect, it's clear they followed the trend. But you could have gone another way. Well, what do you see happening? Well, you know, if you, if you, think, you think about what, what, uh, what we've seen here, is a massive amount of building a business, a million dollar business over, you know, over several years. And the products, and also with, with the Cheeky Panda, you've got to get the product into the market, right? And it's, you know, if you have so many products you have to deal with, it, it, it's about making sure that the product is actually available. And that may mean having to, you know, clear borders and having to deal with all the boring bits as well that nobody sees. Everybody's excited about talking about popcorns and how the market is entering. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of work behind the scenes to make um, the, the Cheeky Panda be in the store. But, but in broad, I'm asking you to generalize, but I know with your industry of export history, are you pushing a, you know, a toilet tissue company or yeah. you know, moist wipe company? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go where there's already loads of that yeah. or go where there's a gap. Where, where does your advice tend to steer? Well, it's, the, it's, it's lots of market research, right? And it's the question of, of red sharks in the Red Sea or, or the blue ocean, right? And, and I would think you've got to have a balanced approach okay. whereby you see there is a market trend, I'm going to follow it, but then diversify your export strategy, like we do right now when, when UK businesses go abroad. Right. On that, Chris, just remind us, how did those first international steps happen? And who, um, uh, you know, did you do sort of a breakthrough deal that led to one? Very much so. Um, so our first major deal was when we exhibited at the Natural Organics Show. Um, Natural Organics Show is something that happens every year. It's like a showcase of um, some of the best sort of... Uh, food brands, drinks brands, um, household brands that come together in London and all the buyers come there and w what struck us was we were trying to market ourselves to retail um, wholesalers and supermarket buyers but then we had all these international distributors come up to us and we had the first one was BioPlanet which was like a Belgian um, 20, 20 store 
supermarket and they said we'd love to list cheeky panda products and we hadn't thought about selling to belgium before but you know they said we want to have the volume and we looked at like customs and um, logistics and we figured out we could work it and we started selling good volume and and then you, we had our distributors that came to us and before we knew it we we're sort of trading in 10 different countries with yes um multiple different products and, and and that then encouraged us to go actually maybe we're not just a uk brand maybe we're a global brand and because do you start then thinking about well how do i actually become global and it is a question about research so when we started trading in dubai we went to um dubai to do a trade show met one of the leading distributors there and then they decided to set um buy a container of our products and now those products are stocked in carrefour and spinnies and some yeah. of the major distributors and all throughout the sort of Middle East. And, and when you're looking at doing business, you kind of had to take a small steps to start off with. And then once yeah. you get comfortable with that, then you can kind of get into the scale. And, and then subsequently, we knew the US and China are massive markets. And unless you've got deep pockets, you're not going to be able to trade in them because they're quite expensive to start up costs. But yeah. if, if you have got capital behind you, then you can go, right, now we're ready because those markets are the ones that really drive sales growth. Yeah. I'm just thinking already, Alison, as I'm hearing Chris and No Man talk, I'm thinking to myself, um, and No Man, forgive me, is that the correct pronunciation? That is, that's, that's fine. Forgive me, thank you. Um, Alison, there's a lot of peer-to-peer -peer value there, potentially, that could be unlocked. How would a company go about finding another company that had also learnt first-hand experience overseas? How would you do that? Uh, a couple of ways. You can employ a an on-the-ground company that's sort of an M&A, mergers and acquisitions mm -hmm. advisory firm, who have targets uh, on their list uh, by sector, So oh. and they specialize by sector. That's quite so, interesting. So you'd almost use their radar. So you would use their radar. Now, that's if you want to buy. If you want to do a strategic alliance or a joint venture, uh, that's a little harder. Mm. Uh, and it's often word of mouth or, again, back to Department for International Trade trade uh, or perhaps even your uh, trade body yeah. so you know there are trade associations that have lists in different countries of yeah. companies who are looking for a partner yeah. in the UK for example so okay. so, so on this um, uh, Tony if, if this was the Oscar speech you couldn't have done it without who's going to get credited along the way because uh, entrepreneurs can be bad at taking advice as you know yeah, I think uh, a lot of people told me, don't go, don't do it. Don't go where? So don't go to uh, China, don't go to Russia, don't go to India. That can only be done by the locals. And I think, you know, that's a red rag to a, uh, a bull in, in entrepreneurial terms. You know, you, if someone tells you not to do something, then it's certain you're going to try and do it. And I think, who would I give credit to? I'd give credit to the people now that have been with the business, you know, 10, 15 years and stayed with me and put up with me for as long as they Your have. Your own team. Yeah, no, they're, they're, they've been terrific. And, uh, but inspiring me in the beginning was all the articles that journalists wrote about the developing markets opening up yeah, and the opportunities yeah, yeah. there. So it was, like Arnie said, about the research. Actually, I didn't do a lot of research. What I did was I just read the news and I read the business press. Who's opening? Coca-Cola's opening up here. RJ Reynolds, um, GE at the time. Yeah. We're expanding massively, all the banks. So we just follow so educating the educating yourself as you're... Yes, right. yeah, that's right. And how about you, Norman? Who, who's been guiding along the way? Who, who, who did you unlock these doors with? I think for us, it, it was slightly different because we approached uh, business quite unorthodox. Uh, we, we, we didn't really follow uh, a path. We, we decided to make our own trial. Uh, and really, for us, it was uh, not do 
what's been done previously mm. because we'll just go into the pool of of of, of existence uh, and it's a race to the bottom and mm. uh, we 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 were clear on where the market was going and make some key predictions so for us it was the local distributors actually giving us local insights different markets were operating in a different way uh, local marketing knowledge and really for us what shaped our behavior what was actually the global industry uh, and and credit to um, us as a team, we scaled very quickly in a short amount of time, um, and 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 for us to be a shoe care business and 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 seen as the second fastest growing business in the UK was was actually a, a, a massive deal. Yeah. Um, so so for us, credit for definitely our team, yeah. uh, our team, but it wasn't it hadn't been done before um, in the industry. So it's definitely the local distributors and the local partners we did had to learn from. Okay, and, and just, just to join the dots there, how did you find those in the first place? Was that desk research? Was it an introducer? I, th- I think what we focused on, we, we count ourselves as marketers. Uh, we focused on the inputs and we knew the outputs would follow. Um, we, were quite, we were quite fortunate not to make any outbound sales. We, we, we were so focused on um, social media and shouting from the rooftops yeah. that we've got a flurry uh, we got a flurry of inbound inquiries. That's what I think. That's what I thought you were going. So you raise the profile, you do things differently, and in the end, they came to you. Exactly. Right. So Chris, tell me your philosophy then. When opportunism meets cold, clear planning, in your lived experience, which wins? Opportunism um, and planning yeah. go hand in hand. You and can't have one without the other. Um, so, I mean, going back to like what Amo said about you know being a disruptor, is you kind of have to follow your own path because if you try to do it um, in, a, in a way that a big company would do it, you just wouldn't have the resources. You wouldn't be able to go and hire an army of consultants. You wouldn't be able to go into the M and A guys. You wouldn't be able to go to the research houses. Um, you, you know, you, it's a bit of a hustle. So you know, if you kind of think, well, I've got good products, how do I how do I get them in the hands of the consumers? Yeah. We, uh, we we went to as many advisors as we could and just bought them lunch and said, "How do we do this?" Um, and that was a really good that was a really good way. It is a bit difficult though, Arnie, isn't it? Because you know Chris could very easily have been at that trade fair and says, "Look, I'm yes. sorry, Belgium, you're just not in the plan." <laughs> um, then again, in a parallel universe, that would be a red herring, very distracting, and he was off. Uh, you know, chasing chasing the latest opportunity. Oh, it's perfect. It's it's absolutely perfect. That is the way you build a lasting relationship. Yeah, it starts with the lunch. It starts with the coffee. Yeah. It starts with a conversation um, about 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 the opportunities, and then you bring you assemble a team of people who who are experts who buy into this vision, and then grow with the business. Right. And that's right. what what I help my clients to do. When when you know, I work with a lot of disruptors and, and new companies that have a vision, and it's not about you know, the, the, how much a consultant is or so. But it's about making sure we can sell our products globally. Okay, and so, with that vision, so, we all grow. So, so, all right, my only complaint so far, is, it's going all right, I'd say. It's a bit glossy, if I'm honest, you know. I don't know whether uh, Nomad has affected us in that way uh, <laughs> with the appearance of it, but I want to know a bit more about the horror stories, if that's all right. So, yeah, I'm particularly going to put uh, you on the spot, you three in particular, I'm seeing you <laughs> as my commentators <laughs> at either end. But, you know, we're amongst friends, so I want to know about the cock-ups, I want to know about the mistakes, if, you, if, you're, if it's not too fresh in your mind. Chris, I mean you as well. While you think, Arnie, here's a question from Peter okay. Blackler. 
all great, but exporting to the EU was very easy until recently. Horrendous numbers this morning, 40% down on exports yep. in a month following Brexit. Yep. How do we retain that key marketplace question? Um, it's about understanding your customers, first of all, and asking them, you know, what, what's their attitude towards the whole thing? Um, are they going to be able to import these goods? Because now you've got to be this importer kind of person, and it's a little bit different. Um, or do they want this most seamless experience as possible? Mm -hmm. And so what we need to ask ourselves is how can we make this border go away? And there's a lot of ways, right? We have the government regulations that are you know, in some, some case burdensome, but this free trade agreement that helps. So it's understanding what's changed, Dealing with that, you know, searching websites and asking people like me who love this stuff, um, and then setting, your, setting best practices and processes up so that you can, you can get into that market. So right. it's a communication thing, yeah. talking to the Europeans and explaining, as well as getting grip and getting excited about these crazy new rules. Once you've got and got crazy on these new rules, the world is your oyster. All right. Well, if we've met Arnie for lunch, Alison, I can see why this becomes less stressful, right? But a number of British businesses right now must be thinking, should we just circumnavigate the whole block because of this writhing level of what I can only describe as faff? Ha. Well, I would actually go back to the boardroom of these companies and ask how strategic their international pursuit is before they even... Ask, answer that question. Mm -hmm. because, why are you heading there in the first yeah, place? Yeah, why bother? Because okay. uh, unless you're going to dedicate resource in terms of time, in terms of leadership talent, in terms of a strategy, you know, a lot of companies opportunistically, and hey, I'm with you all the way on the opportunism uh, uh, point. Ah. Uh, but if you just do opportunism, you don't have it as part of your plan. Yes, yes. So then one person in the business, guess what? You're Mr. or Miss International. Mm -hmm. That's going to be your job. And the rest of the business carries on. And it's only in one person. It's not a core part of the business. Right. Mm -hmm. and everyone needs to be involved in that. Okay. Uh, so um, I've given you a bit of notice, Anthony. Have you got a horror story for me? And the lesson that followed. Yeah, I think the, uh, the biggest problem we had was back in 2000, 2002, when the dot-com bubble burst. And we were doing 50% of our revenues with um, startups and tech companies, and the big old-style companies like uh, Microsoft, who was old school then, and IBM, and Hewlett-Packard. And, uh, and our revenues just crashed mm -hmm. off tremendously. So, um, but what I found at the time was Having a balance of businesses across many different geographies really helped out because that tech bubble bursting really affected Europe and North America the most. Yeah. And our Eastern European and Asian businesses uh, carried on growing during that period of time. And it also happened the other way. When, when, when Yeltsin defaulted to the IMF in 98, our Russian business crashed, yeah. uh, but our Western businesses uh, withstood the fall. Interesting. So. Yes, got it. So, no man, how about you? I mean, um, I think I think for us, we work very hard in driving confidence in our clients. So, so, so I think um, I'll slightly rephrase that rather than a horror story. In yes. terms of a massive challenge for us, was um, actually just expanding very quickly, very fast. So we 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 sell a vast array of shoe care products, and they are hazardous uh, products with 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 materials which are. Uh, permitted in some territories and some not. Yeah. So, so we had a very generalistic view 
once we started and starting to understand the actual uh, regulations around labeling um, the regulations around hazardous storage um, transport um, in the local regions they they vastly differ and some of that took you a little by surprise exactly hindsight. exactly you just need to taste a coca-cola in in uh, <laughs> in mexico in comparison to tasting it in the uk um, it, it, it's it's different you're not going to yeah. get that consistency globally so a massive massive challenge for us is yeah. is gaining that consistently but doing it within um, regulation and, and who's our sort of choice of navigator on that then do i go to my lawyer my accountant is it a specialist is it arnie and the gang i mean you know so for us we we we, we definitely um untapped translations with like the chamber of commerce yep uh, we worked with um hazardous um and storage consultants yep. um, we have distribution hubs all over the world and again we just learned so much ourselves and and it's not important it's important to learn an outset but always to stay up to date because these yep. regulations change very very often and it could really uh, cause significant damage to your business yeah. if it's not followed yeah and just very briefly Arnie on these specific challenges can you help yes of course and I mean that's the key point a lot of people forget is that regulations change all the time right. and you need to stay up to date so yeah that's so that's what that's what you know, consultants, the likes, yeah. the, 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 the people that, like me do, right? We help you to unlock um, opportunities and, and um, get, get the water out of the way, basically. Right. So, so, so Chris, uh, Chris Forbes from the Cheeky Panda, and, um, and no man is right to reframe this as, you know, a lesson learned along the way, particularly if we think about Asia Pacific. Um, something that you might share. Supply chain, um, markets opening up, markets closing down. I mean, I think in COVID, we saw um, a spike in toilet tissue, um, which drove sales. But then at the same time, we lost all our B2B business. So having different um, areas of the market that you're sort of trading in um, is, is, is important. So that if you lose one revenue stream, that you've still got some revenue, not all your eggs in one basket. And secondly, when one form of supply chain, when you're moving the fast moving consumer goods shuts down, what's your contingency plan? Now, we've seen with retailers as well that they will always overestimate the numbers of sales that they want, um, the number of product that they'll need. So they'll say, we need £100,000 worth of product for the next two months. And we'll look at our rate of sales and we'll go, actually, that would be more like 25000 but they want you to have the extra stock. But then if you've got so much extra stock, it costs you a lot of money. And we've had our fingers burnt a few times where somebody said, like, prepare £300,000 of a product, and they sold 50. And then we're sitting on 250, and then it takes us six to nine months to shift it through. It becomes less profitable because you're not working on those types of margins. So that's one of the things that, whether you're in my business or whether you're in other businesses, that's probably the most common thing is actually yeah. just look at your rates of sale and just estimate exactly what your expectations is and not what the buyer will tell you. Yeah, super helpful. Um, we've got a question here. Annette is asking a question about misconceptions about in engaging in international trade. And I, I just might, on her behalf, sort of extend that question to a misconception about a particular market, perhaps. Alison, I might start with you on that, particularly as we look east, um, yeah. Asia Pacific. Where, where, where would you start? Because it's good, good to bust a couple of myths, right? Absolutely. Uh, so I think where I'd start, in some ways, I go back to this market research point. Mm -hmm. uh, until you immerse in the culture and understand how does a consumer or a B2B client yeah. uh, use your product or your service, 
and or misuse it. You know, a lot of innovation has come from people misusing yeah. your stuff, uh, which is why, you know, uh, super glue is super glue and no longer a surgical product, mm -hmm. for example. Uh, so seeing that, understanding how people live and how they use products yeah. in a different way, again, that kind of research yeah. is invaluable. So right. you've got to go, you've got to immerse and suspend judgment and not say they're wrong. You know, I, my I, family uh, and friends of mine, I've, I've always say, you know, how, why do the British drive on the wrong side of the road? And you just think, uh, <laughs> wrong it's not you. the wrong side. <laughs> it's the right side there, it's you know. Uh. Uh, so, so we're going to switch it up in terms of uh, the gear a little bit. But uh, Anthony, g give, give us a misconception that you've sort of seen firsthand. That you can't do business in Russia, that China is impossible to do business in. And uh, I think, uh, like Alice said, you've got to go out there and you've got to talk to the people. I mean, difficult in the last year, I know, but um, technology's helped in that respect. Uh, you've, you've got to see uh, how people react to what you're saying and your products and services. Yeah. And I think the biggest myth is everything's different out there. You can't do business in that culture. You can't do business in that language, or you've got to be able to speak fluent Chinese or fluent uh, Russian in order to do business in these places. It Obviously, it helps, and it's better that you, you get the right advice and do the right research, but you've got to, as Alice said, immerse yourself. You've got to go out there, and you've got to try it. You know, Whatever you do, uh, whoever, I think it was Annette asked the question, is... Please don't look for differences. Don't look for problems because you'll find them. Hmm. You know, people write books on I'd all love, this kind of I'd stuff. I'd love to get your take on this, no man, because I get a sense, forgive me, first impression, but from what you've said, that at Crep Protect, you're saying that we're going to do our thing in our own way. We're going to serve our customer, and those that that resonates with will come to us. Or are there subtle ways that in different markets you're changing how you present, you're changing how you behave to fit in? I think, I think top level, our approach remains consistent. Um, I think when you start drilling down, um, especially around the marketing angle, um, you just need to look at China alone. That, that, is, that is an isolated world in itself. Um, you, have, you have exposure. You could have done something really, really well, and you could have got global reach uh, and announced a brand ambassadors as global. You can go to China, no one can know you. Um, I, th I think it's very important also to just get out the office and visit the market yourself. Uh, when we visit markets, we walk retail, and straight away your mind starts to, it starts to be active. You start to think about many things which you're not going to get from sitting behind Google. Would you mind just giving me, and I'll ask you this, Chris, as well, your top piece of advice for a British company now thinking of doing business in China? What top of the list? I think, I think for, um, f for me is get the support at the outset. Um, I think there's nothing wrong with investing in the right support early. Mm -hmm. um, I think you can learn so much about a market yourself, but to be honest, if you want to catapult your business, get the right support from the talking advisors here? Is that yes, the sort of support? Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, advisors, but mainly for us, it was around the market in PR um, it's 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 around um, if, for example if you just talk about Japan it's it's not a custom to put a barcode on a product 
Uh, it's, it's not it's not a custom to put it has to have a removable price tag because it's a gifting item. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so many cultural things that you're not going to pick up so for us it's engage with local consultants and marketing and PR agencies and invest that money but take your time to select the right ones no really helpful well Arnie I'm going to come back around to you but Chris would you give us your top China tip if you don't mind well, yeah, you have to visit the marketplace and you have to understand the market that you're working in to, in order to be able to sell successfully. Uh, top ch trip for China is that how they are marketing now is completely different to the West. So you start to see people doing like TikTok um, marketing and TikTok selling. That's huge over there. Um, and there's many different channels. Uh, WeChat, people buy on WeChat and actually the, the online, almost kind of like TV um shopping selling is that's right in digital it's e commerce and, and entertainment and, and, and they've fused and, and, and I mean, the whole market allison in your book doing working with americans you i think you make the point that you know there are many americas in yes. that sense and i just wonder yeah. to what extent the same might be true in a country as vast as china or with the right couple of insightful trips to what extent could you feel comfortable that you knew how to behave and how to succeed. Yeah, I think uh, cultural translation and having someone help you do that cultural translation is really key. Uh -huh. uh, and and it's actually across the whole region. I, I'd say Japan, South Korea, yeah. uh, maybe Hong Kong to some extent. Yeah. Uh, so you've got to have local knowledge. Mm -hmm. uh, it's there's it's invaluable because otherwise you do make mistakes and you sometimes can't recover your so, reputation. So I, so I guess part of my question though is to what extent are different cities, even within China, poles apart? Yes, th th hugely. Right. Uh, and that's why you have to do uh, your homework, but most importantly, it's about focus. Yeah. If you're gonna go overseas in any international market, you've got to be laser focused on a particular place. You cannot just you know, conquer the whole country. No, understood, it's impossible. Understood. Are you allowed to say, uh, no man, where's next for Crep Protect? Um, yeah, I can. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, I think for us, a real focus for us is is de definitely developing the business we already had. We have. Um, I think Brazil is a hotspot for us. Um, Brazil for us is a tricky market because of the regulations around um, the, the, the level of tariffs and customs that are yeah. in place but uh, we are taking that market in-house um, and having a dedicated team yes. and a dedicated facility ourselves. It's fascinating I was having spent some time there and people talk about the Brazil cost <laughs> and is it worth it and in so many cases yeah. absolutely it was. Um, Anthony you've had an extraordinary journey uh, with the business with Antal. What's on the horizon? Well, we want to grow where we are. I think this is a, um, particularly after COVID, you know, we've all had a bit of a shock, so let's consolidate and grow. And we are growing. Yeah. But uh, obviously, this Southeast Asia, you know, a lot, everyone talks about China, but there's 667 million people living outside of China in yeah. Southeast Asia. And that we're not even talking about uh, Australia. And that's bigger than the whole of the EU. Yes. So let's get that, you know, let's, let's have, take that in our stride as well. And then, of course, South America. We, we, haven't, been, we haven't penetrated South America as much as we want to. We're in Mexico, ah. but we want to do the rest of South America too. No, good. And just very briefly, actually, Chris, we're just in our final five or, se five or ten seconds. Where next for the Cheeky Panda? Well, we're... Um, USA is for us is um, just launched six months ago, so... Expect exciting things for us um, in major retailers um, in the next 12 months.
Very good. Well, Alison, we know a book about that, don't we? Yes, we, we do. So, so good you know, uh, you know the rest. Well, Chris, good luck with that. Thank you for joining us uh, on the line as well. And uh, a huge thanks to, to the whole panel. Uh, that's been terrific. Alison, um, of course, Alison Stewart. Alan, very good to see you again, you Anthony. Too. Lovely to meet you, man. And very good luck with uh, the business as Thank you go you. global and continue to absolutely smash it. And Arnie, always good to see you. And let me just be absolutely clear, because it sounds like your phone's going to be ringing off the back of this. But we can come to Customs Manager for a lot of these conversations. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Right, good. <laughs> Good, you can give me the fiver later, that's all right. <laughs> the five euro. Um, full of useful insights. Thank you. As the panel starts to leave the stage and go and see my brilliant co-host, Hannah Previtt, uh, I just want to say thank you to all of them. And thanks to you for tuning in for those brilliant questions as well. If you've taken something from that session, please use the hashtag EBL2021. Hannah's going to have more questions in just a minute's time. Thank you, Ollie. What a fantastic panel to finish the day. I certainly feel inspired myself. It reminded me of a few conversations I've had actually with the fantastic entrepreneur and exporter Will Butler, Will Butler Adams, who many of you will know as the CEO of Brompton Bikes, a fantastic British business which sells a huge proportion of its bicycles overseas. And he often tells me about the business trips he takes. So he goes for a couple of big trips um, every year and he'll go to new overseas markets he'll go out on bike rides so he'll take out you know his suppliers the partners they'd all go on these hugely lengthy bike rides around the vicinity and then he'll dine in the homes of his important partners in the region which I always found very insightful indeed so I am now pleased to be joined by our panelists backstage Noman if you could come and join me here hello how Hiya. are you very well thank you Good, good. So I really want to get to the bottom of what some of the other things are that you're up to, because Crep Protect looks fantastic, really interesting products. And actually, I don't think it came out during that panel discussion. It was actually created by scientists, right? So didn't you make it in a laboratory? Yeah, it did. It did. I think I think um, we 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 really focus on um, creating that mouth opening movement when you demonstrate your product and and, and we, we wanted to do that with Shuka. So essentially it is fueled by nanotechnology so again the, the technology itself has been around for a while but very much focused around um, um, domestic and commercial appl applications like masonry. So really we, 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 we we worked with a lab in Germany to really um, make sure it's tailored to an industry that it was never used before. Um, and we worked on the f new formula for around two years and then we went to market, which worked really well. Wow. And that's not the only way you create a buzz around the brand, right? So apart from the actual products, the kind of um, shoe uh, trainer products, you can tell I'm, you know, not a massive <laughs> trainer enthusiast, by the way, I'm talking about this very awkwardly. Um, anyway, apart from that, so you've got the store um, near Tottenham Court Road, right? So, so what happens in that store? Because it sounds like quite a, a magical, mysterious place yeah, that I must so visit, even if I will be way out of place. <laughs> okay, so, so for us, it's, it's always about just creating energy and keeping that excitement around the industry. We are, we, we dominate, um, we are the world's largest premium shoe care brand now. Um, we have sneaker stores in, in key retail locations, Dubai Mall, Le Bon Marche, Paris. Um, we are, have got two stores in London. So really for us, it's really 
premium price point luxury sneaker stores you're talking sneakers from 300 pound to 150,000 pound so again it's it's it was socially acceptable to spend millions on 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 art on art and paintings but i think where 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 it's shifting our trainers are becoming the new collectible and so is streetwear my goodness, can we talk about your trainers? Are these a special pair of trainers? I don't know if we can pan down here and have a little look at your footwear today. Uh, I hope I haven't caught you unawares. No, no, you haven't. No, you haven't. <laughs> so talk me through what you're wearing here. Um, I'm just wearing uh, Balenciagas. So Balenciaga is, uh, is one of the luxury brands. Um, so, so the... The odd thing here is usually on traditional retail, you buy some, you buy some snock, stock, you have 10 week cover. After that, it makes its way into clearance. Uh, whereas in the, in the sneaker market, when you're talking about the collaboration items, um, the longer you have the shoes, the more valuable they become. Um, so for example, I'll give you an example, Nike, Air, Jordan, um, Off-White, um, released that uh, roughly around $250. Now they're worth seven grand after three years. So uh, it's um, it's a world away from traditional retail, uh, but it's um, it's a very um, active and trending market now. You just need to look at Louis Vuitton um, collaborating with streetwear brands. You need to just go to a Gucci store. It's it's backpacks and sneakers now rather than formal wear, and the market is shifting. Rather than becoming niche, it's becoming very more um, commercial. My goodness. And just quickly, how much would something like this set you back? Um, around £750. Okay, right. So well. quite modest. <laughs> By some people's standards, absolutely. Well, thank you so much thank for you your time much. today. It's been fascinating no meeting you. Thank you, nice to meet you. Thank you, thank you, guys. If you would like to uh, step forward and join me here... Hello, how are you doing? I'm good, thank how you, How exciting Hannah. is it to be here and uh, surrounded by all these... A fellow entrepreneurs. It's wonderful. And it's, I almost feel like one of those premiership football managers in front of this now. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it quite like that. <laughs> um, so, um, so tell me, how, how's it going? Um, how do you feel in, in the wake of Brexit? Are you feeling positive? And it's the end of the day, so um, positive stories would be great. Yeah, no, and it's Friday afternoon. So, um, yeah, no, we're... We're surprisingly resilient uh, mm -hmm. after COVID or during COVID. Uh, we like to think it's over. And, uh, you know, we, within the markets that we deal, which is usually developing markets, Russia, uh, China, Central Asia, uh, India, and a lot of those markets haven't been as badly affected as the UK. I mean, the UK is still quite robust for us. And uh, you've got to be in the right market. So you've got to be in the tech, the online uh, food retail, logistics, you know, there are businesses that are doing extremely well out of this. So mm -hmm. those are the businesses we're following. Mm -hmm. So uh, you talked there about the markets you're in, developing markets. Um, and on the panel, you said that there were some places that, you know, people said to you, you mustn't go there. And then you did the complete opposite. Is there anywhere that you wouldn't go? No, there isn't. Absolutely not. In fact, the more remote, the more challenging, the more interesting I find it. And, uh, and as I said earlier in the, uh, on the panel discussion, you know, business brings people together. If you concentrate on the differences, political, religious, ethnic, you're going to find differences, you're going to find problems. But what I think business does internationally is bring people together. Mm -hmm. And are you looking forward to getting back on an aeroplane when you can? I am actually. I'm not looking forward to the CO2 emissions and, and, and you know, the effect it has on the rest of the world. But um, as an entrepreneur and, and as people in general, I think we just need to mix. We need to get out there and talk to people and do, think, do, do stuff.
You know, um, people say, well, I'm, I'm a human being, not a human doing. Well, actually, I think I'm a bit of a human doing as well. I think, and, and that's what we need to do. As, as a nation, as a, as a world, as a global community, we need to get out and start talking to each other, meeting each other and enjoying life. Absolutely. I completely share that sentiment and I think that's a fantastic note to end on. So thank you very much for those thoughts. Um, My pleasure. And we will see you again shortly, perhaps next year. Look forward to it. Thank you thank very you. much. Thank you very much. Arnie, if I could invite you to come and join me here. Yes, of course. So My one pleasure. of um, Elite Hello. Business's most valued long-time contributors. Well, well, well. So I hope it's a pleasure to be here. I hope you've saved a few pearls of wisdom for well, us back here. So I know we've touched on Brexit a couple of times, sure. but it's pretty topical, it particularly is. with the figures out today that's yes. showing exports down yes. 40%. Yes. So to what extent is you know concern about Brexit keeping UK exporters awake at night in your experience? It, 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 is, a big, it is a big concern because there is now a border mm -hmm. and that border needs to be overcome and that's the key difference, right? Before we could just move. We could do the Amazon. Call and I will ship the goods. Now you can't do that anymore. You've got to talk to your importer. You've got to ask some nasty questions. And so it's all about making sure that we make that border that is now there and that is a reality as seamless as possible. Everybody's doing their bit. The government's doing a great job putting out information. But the key question remains, what does it all mean? How do you make sense of this wealth of information? You need a helping hand. And you know, that's why guys like me exist. That's why I left my, my main job, to, to be a helping support for those businesses that are struggling. And they want to sell their own products, the products they know how to sell. It's just they need a little bit of helping hand to get to the market. So mm -hmm. overseas market, you know, my, if, if there's a problem, there's also help at hand. Mm -hmm. And I was going to say, how long term do you think this is? Is this a minor hiccup? Is it just people learning the new processes, the new additional costs, factoring that perhaps into their rain pricing strategy? Yes. Yeah. It is, you know, this is not going to go away. The border is going to be there and we've got to just deal with it. And how do we deal with it? With three things. You need someone on speed dial you can call when the going gets tough and you can't make sense of it and you just want to sell like you did three months ago. Secondly, you need training and education. You, there's no way around it. You need to become a bit of me, a customs geek, you know, someone who, who loves this tariff stuff and rules of origin stuff. There's got to be some passion for that. Otherwise, you're not going to you know, make, make it. And then thirdly, quite frankly, you need to stay up to date. Trade advisory is, is all about understanding what regulations changed. Now, I'll give you one tip. If you, if you do all that, you can get back into the EU, but you can also get into the world. Because once you learn customs and global trade stuff and you get a bit excited about it, like kind of I do, then the world is open. Go to Southeast Asia, go to Australia. It just needs you to get your head around that the rules have changed, they're gonna stay different, and you know, help us out there. Mm -hmm. So still plenty of opportunity. Of course, of course. It will come with time. So while I say this is not teething problems, this is something to stay, once we got our head around that it will cost a little bit more, it will require investment with the right plan. I want to go to Japan. What are the entry requirements that could cost me money? What are the rules that I need to meet? We heard about it on the panel. What, are the, 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 what is the extra cost that it might face? If you plan all that in and you work it out, um, and you get support, then nothing stands in your way. Opportunities are there, but you just got to be a bit more, you know, a bit more rigorous to unlock these opportunities, mm -hmm. I would say.
Well, I think that's a great note to end on. So, Arnie, thank you very much. And My we pleasure. look forward to reading more of your contributions yes. in the magazine. All right, thanks a lot. To come. Thanks. Thank you very much. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Alison, my last guest of the day. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for uh, including me today. It is so exciting to see you. Everyone will tell you that I've been boring on about how excited I am to see you for the last two days. Oh, so it's you. fantastic to have you thank here in you. person. For anybody that doesn't know, Alison is a longtime friend of the magazine, but also uh, she contributes to The Apprentice, You're Fired, which is one of my favorite shows. Guilty pleasure. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> um, so, Alison, um, we were talking about, you know, kind of which market to go to first. And I think what really kind of comes through is that it's very you know it's very uh, um, uh, it depends on the business right yes. so but I do think there is a temptation I put this to one of our guests yesterday to immediately look either to English speaking countries mm. first like mm -hmm. America which mm -hmm. is often a huge mistake because it's not this big homogenous lump and actually it's really difficult market to crack as many big UK companies have discovered in the past, or they look to the nations closest to us, like France, yeah. which again might be problematic for other reasons. Yeah. So do you think that's a, a fair summary? Yes, I do. I, yes, I do. And both of those are fraught with assumptions. Uh, for example, that marketplace looks like the UK marketplace, or what makes us successful in the UK will make us successful in the US, or any EU market or Asia Pacific for that matter. So, you know, I was citing that stat about um, 50 plus percent of Chinese consumers will pay a premium for a British brand because the perception that it's British means quality. So that works really well in China, but it depends also on the product category. You know, uh, so maybe the UK doesn't have a reputation in a particular product category, though you're really good at it. So part of your challenge as you approach these foreign markets is how much of my Britishness is an asset and do I turn up the dial on the Britishness mm -hmm. or are there other things about what we do that make us unique and we turn up the dial on that. But if you don't know, that's the worst part. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had a professor uh, during my MBA program, uh, Peter Drucker, who's uh, famous for culture eats strategy for breakfast. And it absolutely does. If you don't get that culture, you won't know what you need to localize. And the risk is, therefore, that it all falls apart. You waste money. You have reputational damage and 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 so mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm. that's so interesting actually i interviewed a, a founder recently who was saying that um instead of dialing up his britishness in the wake of brexit when they were breaking into spain mm -hmm. uh, they actually dialed it right down because there was a lot of kind of anti-british sentiment and they mm -hmm. didn't hide that they were british but let's say it definitely featured lower down um yeah. the agenda so yeah. just quickly from you alison because we're sadly out of time what are you looking forward to the most in the coming months ahead as we emerge from the pandemic well, uh, in real life events, for sure, being able to uh, have these face-to-face -face meetings because they're so important for building relationships. Um, gee, what's the third thing? I guess going out to a really great restaurant and not having to worry that I have to, you know, wear my mask and eat through the mask or do all of this stuff. So yes, I think that'll, those are my top, my top dreams at this moment. Yeah. Well, I think many of us will echo that sentiment. So thank you very much, Alison, for being so generous today. It's a pleasure. Thanks it's for a having great me, advice. Hannah. Thank nice you, to see Alison. You.
Thank you, and I will now be joined for the very last time <laughs> by my co-host, Ollie Barrett. Hannah, we meet again, and we've made it to the very final we session. We have, and wow, I feel energised and exhausted in equal measure. How about you? Yeah, well, I do. Um, it's weird because for me, there's so much in the national conversation around running on empty and around fatigue, and not to underplay any of the challenges that companies face. I've got a real feeling in these last two days of pent-up energy and ambition and ideas, and if we can tap that, I think there's something quite exciting going on. Absolutely. And just the sense of them being ready to kind of bounce back and really go for growth. Mm. Yeah. A lot of camaraderie amongst the businesses as well from very different backgrounds. So I've enjoyed that. And uh, just on a personal note, I've noticed um, it's been amazing being hosted. We've been here in the Hilton in Kensington and I've never seen such a conscientious operation in terms of keeping us safe and looking after us and I'll just say briefly to the elite business team as well to Scott to Jordan to everyone who's supported us uh, we've really felt in very good hands we really have and on that note Ollie what fantastic hosting I know we can't really give uh, a round of applause from our audience um, because they're remote but I'm sure they're all well, applauding back, you remotely back at you it's been I, I absolutely loved it we must do this again uh, sometime in fact whether or not we get the call or not is another matter but what I do know <laughs> is that elite business live Turns next year. Mark your diaries on the 10th and 11th of March. And by the way, one thing, if you want to get access to the content, and as the launch editor, you know this better than anyone, but you can go to elitebusinessmagazine.co.uk. On the other hand, for next year, tickets are going to go on sale at elitebusinessevent.co.uk slash register. So I think that's quite an important thing just to say, watch this space. Uh, we'll be back. That, that is very important. And one other thanks that we mustn't forget to give is to our sponsors who are here behind us. So Bottom Line, British Business Bank, BT, Department for International Trade, Ring Central and Vistage. Thank you very much. And we hope perhaps we'll see you next year too. Um, so anything else from you, Ollie? Any kind of passing words of wisdom? No, I think help is out there. Uh, we are certainly stronger together. And actually what I think now is you get the one-to-one, -one, the audience conversation. But actually, I think as businesses look across to each other, there's so much support that we can offer each other. And that's got me thinking. So particularly if you've enjoyed this, maybe spread the word a bit. Uh, hashtag EBL 2021 because actually someone out there needs your help but someone out there can help you as well so let's get that going yes I, I echo that entirely um, so Ollie with that well it's pretty much goodbye for now it is goodbye from us all here at hashtag EBL 2021 and we'll see you, you next time <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you that's from me much. Ollie Barrett and from my brilliant co-host Hannah Previtt see you next time goodbye <laughs>